0: All right, welcome back to the major journey podcast. Today's cannabis power player is the founder of Indica Innovations International. She has over 20 years of professional cannabis expertise serving various aspects within the industry, as well as ownership of proprietary, intellectually branded property and patents while currently writing for Grow Magazine. Her journey in the cannabis space is one that is consistently evolving and growing as she does. And I'm excited to have her share her journey with you guys today. AC Moon, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Mike. I hope everybody's doing great.
0: Hey, thank you so much for for taking time out of your super, super, super busy world um, and all the endeavors that you're a part of to be here with us today. So AC, I think a good place for us to start would just be, for those who aren't familiar with you and your work and, and your journey and story, if you could just take us back to kind of where everything started and how you got involved in cannabis in the first place.
1: Wow. Okay. So I first got involved with cannabis back in birth, basically. I was raised in a hippie community type area back in the real rural off-grid lands of Northern California, where our culture was a lot to do with cannabis. And so all the way from the rainbow gatherers and the oldest hippies, we were the Generation X, we're the ones that had to water and trim and take care of everything. And so we kind of got past the knowledge at a real early age. And so um, I was a girl that was kind of from poverty. So I started raging as being, you know, a young entrepreneurial hustler, doing everything I could. Um, I, my family was in wheelchairs and had cancer and different things and had grown and facilitated their own cannabis. So I started providing it to the public at a pretty young age, Shh, I'm not supposed to tell anybody that, <laughs> but then um, <laughs> later on, I started advocating and I went down into San Francisco base in the Bay area. I really started working hard into advocating for all these cannabis clubs that were in all these poverty ridden communities and paying attention to the area which now is considered Oaksterdam. And back then, it was a collection of hundreds of, you know, dispensaries and people of all different medical ailments and backgrounds and um, so- social equity sessions. And uh, everybody had their own dispensary and collective. And so I started growing my own um, about at the age of probably like 18 or 19 right in there and uh, ended up going to school for a horticulture and getting real good at it. I was already raised in the garden so I had a green thumb from the gate Nice. and uh, started Harvest Moon Munchie Company in 2001 after advocating and working for the third floor and other different dispensaries at a really young age and so Once I figured out how the entire system worked pretty early on, I started my first edibles company, which uh, Harvest Moon Munchie Company was was with the first non-chlorophyll edibles company um, at that time. That was very innovative where we weren't using uh, cannabis butters so much as extract butters and things that didn't have chlorophyll and had a higher density of THC and different cannabinoids in it. So you didn't have to have like this giant brick of a rice crispy tree and they're like holy cow i gotta eat all of that to feel anything this is crazy and so we changed the game in that way in the early 2000s and then went on to several different five or six different properties surrounding you know i guess the greater northern california area where we all cultivated you know a lot of ganja and i won't give you the numbers but it wasn't a small amount <laughs> and so we went on to doing collectives and dispensaries and opening them and partnering with them and distributing to hundreds of different um spaces and really coming to a space where it was blown open the whole thing was we were dealing with federal raids we were dealing with um, everything from grassroots issues to helicopters coming over us and like dropping people into our garden to, them stopping people on the freeways and, you know, all the way to where they come into our dispensary sites, they come into everybody's dispensary sites, they take everybody's surveillance, they take all their information, they take all the doctor's information, they incarcerate doctors. And we just went through this whole spiel of just serious prohibitionary acts on the movement through the probably really deeply through 2007 to 2013. It was really, really gnarly to the point of where socially they're throwing bricks through each other's walls, trying to um, create like these little inner city wars and things like that. And like, I've shared a story with you, choppers came more than once and we all had to deal with it, our, our whole families and everybody. So then I started inventing. And so I got into crop tops greenhouses. I, int- I, I invented and innovated an instant pop-up portable greenhouse that protects plants from storms as well as used as a quarantine for pest management or an isolation chamber for tissue culture and cloning and different types of practices that you might do scientific research under. It's also used as a shower when some hippies are camping. I've seen it used <laughs> for all of stuff. My son even used it to work on his motorcycle. And so that worked out great. So it's been used for all sorts of different things. Um, 98% recycled product that I innovated and got patented. So then we moved on to, um, you know, really getting into patenting and innovating and learning the entire stench of what licensing is, what licensing means, and um, seeing how the medical marijuana platform was going really heavily into the recreational jurisdiction at that point in time. We already had several different bills that were constantly trying to be passed. I really realized that, intellectual property is probably where we're going to go. So after getting a degree in horticulture and forestry, I started studying genetics and organic chemistry, and learning about just how everything works and intertwined from the base all the way to the top. And I went to Asia and learned manufacturing, got a whole bunch of um, good information and life skills by creating my own product and patenting my own product. And you can't you can't go to school for the amount of information you, you gain from doing it yourself and doing it with, from grassroots off grid situation. <laughs>
0: totally.
1: And, <laughs> then, um, you know, bringing it to light and launching it. And despite more federal raids at our, our grow ops and different spaces, I decided to go ahead and launch. So I launched at Emerald cup in 2013 in high times cannabis cup, in 2014, and just premiered my product and showed it to the world. And, and adventure capital grew it myself and literally made every aspect of it happen. So, really learning those ins and outs and started traveling more, helping cannabis growers pretty much throughout the world um, realize what it is that California's journey has been and how it represents this pathway for the rest of the world to start entering it, you know. First, we had Colorado booming way harder than we were very quickly, all the way to now we have, you know, Thailand and Mexico and everybody's joining this movement. So I started going globally and getting heavily certified. And uh, I um, now I'm CGMP, OSHA, ISO, OMRI, FDA, uh, Sigma-6, everything's certified so that I can work with everybody and work with all classes of people in all sorts of different places in order to teach the cannabis IP and how we can grow our futures in the gardens and just give everybody that gateway, the gateway drug is the gateway is just to the garden. It's not actually towards <laughs> addiction.
0: <laughs> so out of everything that you've done, that you've worked on, would you say that cultivation is really like where your heart is at and like your favorite thing?
1: Yes, I I can't tell you that even if I had never made a dime in the industry, I have a passion for plants. I see how they're synthesized in our world and how, you know, the very table that this this computer is sitting on and the the clothes that I, I I'm wearing and and the, everything around us is really synthesized from plants and we don't realize it. And so I I really want to like put the empower the plants <laughs> so to speak you know we look in our our medicine cabinet and this is something that I've, I've talked to everybody for years and years and years decades if not with my mom having cancer when i was young i always watched her popping pills and everything just massive amounts of pills and anything that modern man would say hey this is gonna take this pill you want the red one or the blue one and then all of a sudden it changes reality it's not true, it's just all synthesized from plants and different derivatives and mixtures and organic, you know, organic compounds. And so I tell people all the time, hey, your aspirin is made out of a tree that you can grow in your front yard. Um, you know, Birch trees and willow tree extracts provide lots of analgesics and anti-inflammatories and people just have forgotten a lot of knowledge. So I'm just like, hey, I love these plants. You know, they actually rule our world. They, they're they everywhere. We wouldn't have anything, like dressers or anything if we, didn't have, if we didn't have these plants. So yeah, I definitely have a thing for cultivation and IP and lots of other things. I really love life and life with cannabis is kind of intriguing because we have such an amazing industry right now and watching it innovate super fast.
0: Yeah. And so like, How do you see yourself with your skill sets, all those experiences, right? Going globally, doing all the packaging, like doing everything really from the ground up and just getting your hands dirty and having a firsthand experience with everything. How do you see yourself kind of plugging into the cannabis industry that we're in today versus what it was like maybe 10, 12 years ago or or, or something like
1: that? Oh, it's like a completely different creature that is literally godzilla to the loch ness monster there is a whole range of differences (laughs) (laughs) and it really starts from the grassroots of you know if you walked into the quote-unquote industry 20 years ago it wasn't an industry it was a community and it was people that all worked together it was us against them we realized that prohibition rules us all a lot of people are forgetting that it's still federally illegal Right now, all of us are breaking the law. Even this one plant it's like right here. It's just breaking the law. We're doing it every day. And so a lot of people have forgotten the truth of why it's us against them and why this community was originally built, why we have an opportunity to have an industry now was literally because of prohibition. We wouldn't have this unique position in the world if it wasn't for prohibition, giving us this us against them feeling of where we come together and we have a uniquity. And we're able to include everybody from all walks of life into that, where you know, a stoner with dreadlocks can end up talking to a lawyer over a joint. And that's how it all began. All of a sudden we had a dispensary. Somebody had a really good session together. And like they say it just it was <laughs> It's so true though. <laughs> I'd say that, that nowadays though, walking in is, is not walking in you're literally busting in. You're, you're coming with your tools and your agents and every resource that you have to try to figure out where to, you know, have your place in this industry and what, what aspect of it do you fulfill or how can you migrate your career that you've been dealing with for 10, 20, 30 years and how can you migrate and facilitate into the cannabis community and kind of have a symbiosis relationship with it? And that's way different because now we have all these courses and virtual online things and everybody is, you know, kind of throwing out as much as they can in order to gain some sort of traction. And so it becomes almost like I see a lot of people like trying to claw to the top with the way of CBD is a breakthrough point or marketing or media tools that are pretty much to the point where I see a lot of people selling out, don't sell out that that's the that's the really strict point is always have passion for what it is that you're doing if you sell out just for money or narcissism the cannabis industry is probably going to eat you up
0: <laughs> that out. yeah I've, I've come around to find out that like they're like hound like this whole industry and this whole community community i should say really like the the real cannabis community like they'll sniff that out like bloodhounds like if if like That's why like relationships, I think, are so important, especially in the industry, because one like you can just tap on someone's shoulder and be like, hey, listen, like true, false. Like what's what's the deal with with this group over here, like this person or like, is this really what it is? Mm -hmm. And uh, so quickly, you can figure out whether or not someone is who they say they are or whether it's just a whole facade to get a quick buck, which. A lot of people that come in and they're like oh you know i'm just gonna come in make a quick play and you know it'll be a cool 50 million in three five years and then i'm out like
1: yeah sorry, i see I see it but it's not the long-winded ones and the more people are trying to play with it like um like almost like stock market stock market or d- day trading where they're like okay now we got stocks in if i'll watch this one go up watch this one go down we're gonna throw 50 million at this and watch it go out the door back over here. And so a lot of people are, you know, because of those actions, that's why our community is being lost because they forget how their decisions are affecting everyone down to the cultivator. And eventually the cultivators will be back to the completely ramrodded Hispanic community that's ran our agricultural systems forever. Uh, I, mean, I mean, they're really the cultivators that have brought in the food to our table nine times out of 10, and they're employed by the richer, you know, white men or what have you, you know. And so now we're trying to break all these walls and trying to yeah, hopefully use it as a gateway to even out all agricultural playing fields because cultivators are necessary. And so if we have these day trading type personas coming in that don't realize that when they're trying to knock down all these prices or play all these price games, it's actually um, affecting everybody and, and it could be affecting their neighbor that just has a grassroots farm. They don't even know. And so hopefully it's going to broaden our, our educational basis a little w- wider, you know, from stock market all the way down to the grassroots.
0: Yep. And I've, I've heard so many times, I totally agree with you. And I've heard so many times that the, the, the people that are really going to succeed in, in the industry are the ones that can really just get down with the cultivators and just, get down and dirty. And then at the same time, like have the same level of respect for a cultivator as they might have, if they go in and sit, you know, sit in on wall street with an investment banker to talk about, Hey, how do we finance this, this new cultivation, or how do we like (laughs) totally flip the switch on, on this? So I totally agree with you. And the more and more that like, I've been getting deeper and deeper into the space, the more and more that seems to be the truth that, that everybody wants to come closer to.
1: Well, that's why I feel that, you know, a lot more of what we were originally modeling in 1994, when the first like real legalization act was coming through and I was advocating, you know, passing around the clipboards, trying to get signatures back in the day. And uh, what we were doing was modeling after the wine and tobacco industry. And really nowadays, I want to see tobacco out of it and using the symbiosis that they've created in the wine industry has to be introduced into the cannabis industry more so the reason that there was more of a, you know, a feel of symbiosis between investors and those that had a cultivated amount of, of knowledge on how to create that wine was more of a connoisseur level. You know, you had a more of a respect for the wine industry if you had that knowledge and you were able to go into a, a resort that may be surrounded by vineyards. And then you see the effort that it's taking to make this glass of wine in your hand then there was more of a connection there that made it so like, okay, obviously you're not gonna go drink some Mad Dog 2020 and understand what it took to create that. But the people that truly were invested in the wine industry did take the time to go to those higher class facilities that were spread with the cultivators, like just perfection and make everything perfect. And then it just kind of created that information by way for the money to see that the gold star was actually in how it was cultivated. And, and if we could use that same sort of modeling of visual perception and interaction with the plant I'm drinking that wine the vineyards in front of me I'm drinking that wine that man is working on the plant in front of me and is doing it in row upon row upon row then that, maybe we're going to be able to you know kind of transpose that into the the cannabis industry one day safely without you know safety issues that may come from you know giving out our locations or something like that I don't know <laughs> <laughs>
0: Totally. Mm -hmm. I've even heard. um, I totally. I've even heard about like how like some people want to get into like consumption lounges, and like Mm -hmm. on the other side of the lounge, it's just a glass wall, and you can actually see the cultivation taking place, and you can see them doing that. So kind of like what you just described with wine, how you Mm -hmm. can see the people out in the fields like clipping and pulling things down, like kind of the same thing. And I think I think we'll start to, or I hope, like the general public will have more appreciation. For how much, like, love and labor and, like, just how much of everything goes into a single crop.
1: It's Um, a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. And up in Humboldt, we have more and more people that are opening their gardens up to Airbnb situations or resort or retreat type situations for yoga and wellness retreats. And Mm -hmm. so there's going to be more of that symbiosis, but there's still those safety issues that you have to really, you know kind of check who it is that you're letting onto your farm regardless, so, and and I definitely back in the day in the dispensary days, you know, when it was all collectives under medical marijuana, which is probably still true for a great amount of people that end up listening to this, it's not all endemic to California, obviously. Um, We did have those types of, here was the grow, here's the, you know, counter type situations. And it did make for a beautiful interaction between consumers and, you know, plant managers. I mean, to a certain extent it got to be a pain in the butt like taking care of a turtle in the in the you know the the dog store or what have you but it was always a lot of fun to see how people you know interacted with that plant in the dispensaries and I, I can't wait to see it too. It's gonna be neat.
0: Yeah. No it's gonna be a really exciting time. Uh so AC, one of the and we were just talking about this a couple of minutes ago, but one of the one of the the really amazing things about you is that you're always on the move and it just seems like you're always on the hunt for the next big thing. Um, Even like how you went from like figuring out how to do like intellectual property to packaging to like all these different things. And so how do you continue to just add more and more onto your plate and not necessarily burn out or feel like you've spread yourself so thin to the point where you're like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Cause you seem to have a really good pulse on everything you're involved in. And I need you to tell me the secret sauce. Cause it's
1: not- <clears throat> Well, my GUI that I've been growing for 20 years definitely helps. I tell you what, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm really not kidding. It totally does help. Strain specific for your mentality. And that one keeps me in the space of I am super passionate about what I do. I've actually come from an advocacy space So I'm not a person that you're probably going to see getting rich in this lifetime because I've had the opportunity to be rich in this industry many times. And I don't really think that's what my goal is for humanity. I want to see how this, you know, how my invention, you know, like, like crop tops, where is it over there? Crop tops or or any of the the writing that I do, I want to see it make an impact so that we can understand that grassroots is, I mean, we have to, pay more attention to our world. This planet is suffering. We're creating too many plastics problems, pollutions problems, like all these things. The cannabis industry is large enough that we can actually have an impact on the environmental problems, the humanity problems, the equity problems, the abuse problems. and, And it can have a worldwide impact if we use it properly. So I'd rather I'd rather um, you know, overwhelm myself a bit every now and then and be full, to, full of passion for what I do than to sit and just give the bare minimum to the world. And I am, I'm here to help everybody really grow into what it is that we wanna do. Right now I'm trying to, I'm finishing testing for ISO, which is International Organization of Standards. And so taking all of the Swedish built international standards for compliance for the highest quality pharmaceutical drugs on the planet, the highest standards for everything um, and really implementing them and trying to see if we can even embrace the world further by just creating more connectivity placing those standards in the cannabis community here and then letting the cannabis community go worldwide through that same platform so <laughs> hopefully we're just gonna i i have to be honest though on an end note on that comment i i think everybody burns out a little bit but if you do truly have passion and you're not just there for the money then it's not just a day trade and i could never walk away from my plants because they're like our (laughs) kids and and it really you you just gotta love what it is that you do and every day we're gonna just like go okay I have so many ideas on my plate and I love life so much. Maybe I have way too much tetrahydrocannabinol like stuffed into my system that it's just aching to get out. I just have this creativity where it's just like connected way too too many things in my brain. But I don't know that any one thing could really satisfy my need to to really, you know, connect this whole world with this plant. So I'm going to dive into every aspect of it. Right now, I'm hoping genetics comes to, so I'm genetically patenting a plant that I've kept alive for about 22 years now. So That's really cool. Since I was a kid all the way to being a grown up.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Not many people could say that.
1: Yeah, it's a fun journey, but it does get to be a pain in the butt after a while.
0: <laughs> so, what's one piece of of specifically cannabis business advice that you wish, or it could be general business advice or life advice that you wish that you could go back and give the younger AC who is maybe, you know, first just starting out with everything.
1: You know, I was from the off-road world of where a lot of peaceful hippies and I dived in at the age of, I ran away and then dived into the city. And so I think I would look back and go, you know what? Um, don't trust anyone until you really, really figure it out. Give it the due diligence into every aspect of your interactions because it's gonna save you a world of trouble. (laughs) If you really look at how people act, um, it's gonna tell you a huge amount about the personalities. And so you're gonna be able to pinpoint how they're affect, how they're going to affect you and your future. And you want to align with the people that are, are with the the good, the best intentions at heart and always, And, and not just greed or be chasing money or getting on the hustle and the grind, you know, keep your morals compass, you know, very straight and pointed north, and then everything's going to be awesome. Luckily, I've always had a really strong moral compass, but a lot of the people I've chosen to interact with at different times have gave me a broad, broad understanding of, of who not to trust now in the industry.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think a, lo- a lot of folks go through that. But so, like, would you say would you say that if you if you just focus on keeping that moral compass aligned, everything else, like in this unexplainable way, just kind of works itself out.
1: Um, I would like to say that that's true, but we all know that nice guys and gals finish last for a reason. And the reason that the true money stands in the hearts and the the hands of sharks is because, well, sometimes you got to get a little dirty. Mm-hmm. And that's an unfortunate part about especially going up into the corporate realms of of cannabis is that. You have to know your core community so that when other people are trying to, you know, leech off of the information or leech off of what it is that you're trying to goal set on, yeah. that you're able to create healthy boundaries and, and know their parameters. Because it gets to be, yeah, it gets to be a lot of cluster fucking right now. Excuse my language, but <laughs> there's a lot of cluster That's fucking. It's <laughs> all <So> fuckery. <laughs> Totally. But we do still love the industry. And I, I hope that all of us that are standing up and speaking can help guide it in a way that, uh, you know, does have a moral compass and uh, keeps the community at, in reality instead of, you know, having it diluted by tons of just commerce, constant commerce talking. Just remember that the grassroots and the reason why we're doing this.
0: Yeah. And so do you think the brands and the communities that are being built with the brands that have that kind of mentality are gonna be the ones that stick around for 50 years versus the ones that maybe just come in, get rich and then kind of fade out after five, six, seven years?
1: Well, hopefully then uh, we're going to, like I said, follow the alcohol industry model, which eventually, you know, we'll have some craft producers of anything or fine wine producers will have, you know, these, uh, absolutely integrated Appalachia quality things will still be present. um, But they may be backed, unfortunately, by larger money, because what's happening right now is a huge, you know, it's about to have a turn of monopolizing. As soon as federal legalization or rescheduling happens, big pharma and all the largest industry producers in the world and the planet are going to have their hands in it. And it's really not going to give a lot of people an opportunity to launch properly in, in a grassroots way. So with these mom and pop and craft farmer facilities that have a tight net of community, it does give them a better chance because, you know, you, you always want a buffer of space around you that protects you. Mm-hmm. But in the end, when we have, you know, truly even all these Tilray and all the largest companies in the world, we're eventually like, be the mm-hmm. larger shark that, you know, eats the little shark. And then the next one, eats the little shark until, you know, they're going to tax everybody to death and make it so that the profit line is so small, just like they did with tomatoes or a billion other commodities, that there isn't going to be a lot of room. So it's going to be the Gold Star organic craft cannabis that really got into their branding, their Appalachia, created their personal family IP on every aspect of processing and structure um, is going to be the ones that definitely stand up. But the other ones, will still be present because they're going to be bought out and licensed by the big guys because really they're going to end up being the one that that owns everybody in the end in some form or another because you can take the entire industry uh, of cannabis and it's only a drop in the bucket to what big pharma and um, oil has and the second they can put their money in they're going to and that's the same people they own big pharma and gas in the world. It's all the same people. So, <clears throat> Excuse me. It's just a matter of time before we see how they're going to set up the, the way that they're going to monopolize as they, they gain rescheduling and the ability to interact in these large banking assets once that interaction comes. So that's why it's so important right now why I'm doing a lot of podcasts and a lot of social speaking and public speaking is because we have to you know, gain the grassroots information. Um, and that's going to be the only way that people are going to understand why federal legalization is going to happen and why it's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. And prohibition is the only thing that brings us together in in the grand scheme of things. Or you'll just be one business, Mike Major, uh, you know, doodly-doo, can of matrix, triple... <laughs> biopsy.com and I'm going to be this other person and so it's it's going to be weird so I really like to see how different podcasters and different interviewers are bringing that the grassroots back to the public uh, voice so that everybody can remind each other where we're really at in this thing we're n- the war is not over yet so be smart about how you play the game
0: <laughs> totally so so like are you Are you looking forward to legalization or are you kind of like very hesitant about it and kind of like, okay, how is this actually gonna play out?
1: I am borderline against it. And Mm. until we have in place more grassroots legislative processes and or more people that are from my millennial generation able to stand up and we get some of the old blood out of office and out of parliament, in these different legislative offices, because really we want uh, the only reason that I would really back it is because these large entities and large hemp and uh, cannabis farms, you know, we need to be able to help hold them accountable to things like OSHA, certifications, ISO, you know environmentally friendly, CGMP, all the different things. We want to hold them accountable for the sake of the planet, for the sake of the consumers we want to have an organic cycle from seed to sale. But in the same sense, it's very easy to buy a label. That's why you see Lays and Nestle like trying to be organic. Like, yeah, okay, right, you're organic. So you have to know that 38% non-organic materials can go into that in order to get that label because they can purchase that label from the FDA, the the USDA, and all these types of things. You can, there's a way for corruption to get into those certifying bodies. And so once we federally, you know, reschedule it, I'm not so sure that those certifying bodies are going to be held true because these larger MSOs um, are going to be able to to buy their way into certifiable processes if there's a correct entity in place. So if we have more grassroots people that were advocates at one time getting into policies and getting into lobbyists, getting into those positions of political power, then that's when I feel will be time for re-legislation. Because if we do it prior than that, it's already bought and sold by Big Pharma in my mind. They're already waiting. I, have, um, I actually am going into Berlin and Munich and going into the Bayer facility. I was accepted to go into Bayer Pharmaceuticals um, with five people to, over, to oversee their cultivation areas. And really, you know, obviously they're going to only show us what they want. But just to get an idea of what it even looks like in, inside of a Bayer Pharmaceutical facility, it will be interesting to me because I want to know how they're going to take and exploit our (laughs) plant and how it's going to be not just Marinol, but all these asthmatic inhalers and all these different methods and modes of delivery that are going to be not environmentally conscious. They're not going to be good for our bodies. They're going to be synthesized to where the plant medicine is just drained out of them. And I, I think that it's our duty as a community to hold them accountable so that if it does become federally rescheduled, we still have the balls to hold power and we can still stand up. And even if all of our money together doesn't even hold a candle to theirs, you know, that we'll still all put our money together to try to hold a candle to theirs. And, you know, at least do our best <laughs> to keep, keep the, the people in power, because that's the reason we all come together is the entrepreneurship that comes from prohibition is a really powerful tool. As long as we all actually unite underneath that, that green flag against them come to terms with the fact that legalization isn't exactly good, just like Proposition 64 in California kind of screwed a lot of people. And a lot of other propositions are doing the same in, in individual state platforms. You know, it's there to make money. It's not there for the growers to, to have success or be able to have medical research or even be able to make those innovations in medical science. So it's, it's, it's very lucrative and confusing game
0: <laughs> it is a very confusing game because it's like in 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 one in one moment they're promising you this and then when you go behind closed doors you're like wait a second this is nothing this is nothing like what you made it sound so oh, yeah. and especially when it comes to like 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 clinical research and and all of that like there's no room for gray area or at least in my mind like when it comes right. to stuff like that in people's lives and, and actual data like it's got like, it's numbers, right? Like it's, it's black and white. Like it is, it isn't like, so like the researchers have to know whether or not they can actually do studies the way that they're supposed to do. And the way that they've been doing them for a while. So now if all of a sudden you're given, you know, synthesized products to work with, are you really doing, you know, are you really getting the right data or is somebody behind it, pushing it to be manipulated in a certain way to now play out a totally different narrative. Yes,
1: yes. So,
0: you know, and not to go off like the conspiracy theorist like end here, but like it's it's super valid, right? Just because of like the nature of, of what everybody's kind of, you know, come together to
1: to fight all against. All about the to- money. And that's yeah. what we have to slow our roll. And yes, all of us need money, but there's room for everybody. So mm-hmm. open open our doors and open our minds and don't just follow that almighty dollar and that's probably what I'd say to everybody who's trying to enter the cannabis industry like have some heart like yeah. make it a community by consciously interacting in a conscious way and be a conscious hustler
0: preach <laughs> <laughs> Well, you see I I could literally go on about this for for hours but before we wrap up I wanted to ask you is there anything you know I, you mentioned you know you're going to be heading heading out to uh, to check out some really, really cool facilities. Um, but is there anything new and exciting happening in your world that maybe you're working on that you wanna let people know to keep an eye out for or, or anything like that before we wrap up?
1: Um, I'm Actually right now, I'm, I'm working as a partner down in St. Vincent in the Grenadines where the Caribbean has experienced a huge amount of volcanic explosions. And the medicinal cannabis farmers that I work with down in these very remote islands have very small amount of resources. So right now I'm building a platform for unifying the cannabis community globally called CaribbeanCannabisProject.com, as well as advocating for some people in Morocco, Thailand, and well, soon to be India, I guess, is our next pit stop. And uh, really making it so that we see what every community is going through as an individual, as a whole, and how we can impactually like, donate to them. So if people have old equipment and like burnout stuff that they don't know what to do, don't fill the landfills full of it, donate it to Caribbean Cannabis Project, and then we can send it to all of these poverty-ridden farmers. They just want the opportunity to grow, grassroots, learn how to grow. And so we're going to try it on a charity level. That's what I'll, I'll be doing. I'm writing a curriculum and finishing my book and getting it published here soon. So should be interesting. Always lots of new innovations, working on more patents than... Just planted some more trees, so we'll get that going.
0: I <laughs> love that. I love that. Well, when everything starts coming for full circle again, we'll definitely have to have you back on and talk about it. I'm super excited about the book that you just mentioned too. I can only imagine what uh what that's going to be about. So we'll definitely want you back on the show to talk about that later.
1: Excellent. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. It's been great talking to you.
0: Likewise, thank you so much. All right, well, that wraps up this week's episode of the Major Journey Podcast. We will catch you guys next week.